Hi everyone, Chris here. Just wanted to give a heads up that today's episode discusses emotional abuse in a relationship. So please keep that in mind before you listen and take care of yourself. Hello to everybody who's had great Greek food in Astoria. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. My name is Chris Gethard. I'm very lucky to be your host today. Thanks to everybody who enjoyed last week's episode with our postal worker friend. Yeah, I'm just so fascinated by all the logistics, man. Thanks to everybody who's been checking out the Half My Life special. Really means a lot. Uh, people are, are finding it everywhere. And I was so psyched to realize if there's a bunch of places where you can go rent it or buy it. And a lot of our international viewers were going, oh, it actually never reaches. When are these things available? It's available. Vimeo. I am, my understanding is that you can get it through Vimeo, and Vimeo is worldwide right now. So for anybody who's supporting out there in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Canada, I, I, I've seen a lot of people going, but when does it hit us? This one actually does. Go grab it. Thanks to everybody who does. And thanks to everybody who's been buying tickets over at chrisgeth.com for the upcoming tour including a whole bunch of live, beautiful, anonymous tapings, a whole bunch of stand-up gigs. And for everybody who's like, why aren't you coming to my city? I want to. I'll be there. I'll get there. I want to come to your city. I promise. Someday. Maybe I'm even already working on it for 2022. Who knows? Now, today's episode, really intense. It's one that I bet a lot of us are going to see aspects of ourselves in. Maybe not to the extremes that this caller has lived through, but we can see it. You know, there's a lot of things people get addicted to. You hear about alcohol addiction, drug addiction. You don't hear as much about sex and love addiction. And even when you do, you don't, I think, hear so much about love addiction. And this caller, I have not stopped thinking about this one. First of all, a lot of very heavy stuff in here. A lot of situations you wouldn't wish wish upon anyone. A lot of... Uh, relationships this caller wound up in that I'm so happy to hear are things that have been moved on from, but to hear about how you can get actually addicted to the romantic notion of of love to a point where you will put yourself in harm's way to get, I don't even want to say put yourself, you will wind up in harm's way because that's where this addiction leads you. It's, it's a very, this was a conversation where I felt very in over my head, did my best to listen, did my best to learn, did my best to help sort of suss out my own questions in a way that I bet other people listening will have their own questions. Uh, And it's one that I bet a lot of people are going to go, I've been in that situation. I've been in my version of that. And I I hope it wasn't as extreme. And I hope our caller uh, has nothing but a positive, happy, healthy life moving forward. And uh, I hope you get something out of this call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hi. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. How are you? I'm okay. I'm having like an okay day, you know? Oh. That happens. Yeah, I know. <laughs> sure does. So what's up? Yeah, well, it's been, it's been an interesting time, obviously. Um, I got my first dose of the vaccine last week. Nice. Yeah. 
yeah, I um I wasn't that interested at first in getting it. Um, I've had kind of a different reaction to COVID than the rest of my family. But um, but I realized that if I want to see my family, um, I got to get it. So, <laughs> so I did. Um, I live in New York City, and they do too. So it's uh, yeah, it's felt strange to not be able to see them. Yeah, same city cut off. That's that's tough. But I'm glad that whatever the views on on COVID are, that you were like, well, if this is if this is how we get to see our families, let's everybody suck it up and do it. Like I I, uh, I respect that. Exactly. Thank you. Thanks. I'm glad I, I came to that myself. Um, I'm a, I'm sometimes a nanny, so I was able to get it before they just opened it up to, I'm 37, so I would I would have been eligible this week anyway. <laughs> well, it's good then that you got in ahead of the curve before, uh, I'm sure that's going to flood the system again. So I'm glad you got it. Exactly. Thank you. Um, also, my, um, my family has owned a historic mill in Lawrence, Massachusetts for 40 years and we're selling it tomorrow. Wow. What does one do yeah. with a historic mill? <laughs> um, it's going to be turned into uh, residences as far as I can understand. Okay. What did your fam- what, what's your family been up to for the past 40 years with this historic mill? Good question. Um, my grandfather was um, doing clothing manufacturing and uh, had tenants like Ralph Lauren in there. Um, and then, uh, since he passed in 2008, my aunt has, has been running it and it's, uh, it's commercial real estate. So it's different organizations, nonprofits. There's an antique store. <laughs> There's a cafe. <laughs> um, it's been pretty cool. I've only been there a handful of times. Actually, Elizabeth Warren announced her candidacy there, oh. um, a couple of years ago. So I, I did go for that, which was pretty cool. Nice. And uh, and now it's like time to move on, and everyone can get some money, and and it's a good thing. And uh, so I went. I went the other week with my dad to kind of say goodbye to it, and there was like a whole room full of family storage. And I ended up taking my grandmother's wedding dress. Ah, are you married yourself? I'm not. Um, I would like to get married. Um, I've been looking for a while. It feels like and. Uh, I seem to go for unavailable men. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I actually, I realized a few years ago that I, that I'm an addict. I'm, I'm what I'd call a love, a love and fantasy addict. And I uh, get very attached very easily and go into a whole picture of what, what the relationship will look like before I've given it a chance. This is interesting. I've heard this phrase, love addict. Hmm. And hearing you describe it, I'm going, well, I don't know much about this. Um, and I'm wondering if you've like talked to professionals about it who, who deal with this stuff. But it is, I mean, there's a reason it's a different phrase than sex addict. It seems like these are two different things. Yeah, they are two different things. Um, some people identify as both. I, I'm still figuring out um, if I also identify as a sex addict, I think for me, they're, they're kind of intertwined. Like I always thought that, um, like sex was love or, you know, meant that you could get love. I think, I think it's been confusing for me. This is really, uh, quite interesting. But I I have talked to professional. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) You said you've been talking to professionals. I imagine there's people who specialize in this type of thing. 
Yeah, there are people who specialize it, and there's there's twelve step groups. Um, now they're all um, on Zoom, which is actually very convenient because you can go to a meeting pretty much any hour of the day. <laughs> um, and there's you know there are a hundred women on the call I was on earlier today. Um, so yeah, the the pain is is palpable. Um, I've I've been in the I've been in and out of the program out of the twelve step for a couple of years. I thought that this last year I could sort of do it on my own, that I didn't need it, that I would be fine. And that, you know, uh, so I, I entered into a relationship just before COVID in January of 2020. Um, nice guy, a little older than me, seemed to be on the same page. And that relationship lasted 10 months. Um, and we were sort of in like a COVID bubble, you know, like we didn't, we didn't see that many people. We watched a lot of shows got a lot of food, ate a lot of food, you know, it was fun. Um, and I think once we were sort of out in the real world, that's like where the problem started. So I'll ask questions, but I also want to say some people probably hear love addict, sex addict. They probably go, I wonder if sometimes there's, these are ones that we still don't talk about, right? Alcoholism, drug addiction, a number of things where we go, okay, we understand what that is and really respect the process that people put into and fight the good fight. I do sometimes feel like with this topic, it's one that like, we don't talk about it as much. And I I would think people might judge in a different way or maybe even harsher way. I want to ask you about that, but I'll ask my questions, but being very respectful of someone who's seeking treatment, seeking help, if there's anything where you just want to go, you know, that's sort of something that I'm still dealing with or I don't care to talk about, that's totally fine. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that first question is that, yeah. is, um, is when you talk about this, do you feel like it is perceived differently or judged differently than than other types of things that might necessitate a 12-step program? Yes, I do, because it's not as clear cut, right? Like you don't just put down love or, or sex. I mean- you could, but then that's also a problem. Like we also talk about um, anorexia and this addiction, right, 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 where people go too far, you know, right on the other extreme. Um, I think that uh, basically everyone in the program like has to define their own bottom line behaviors, like with a sponsor. So that could mean um, going on social media or dating apps, or being with a or seeking out married men or women. Um, yeah, you have to kind of define that. And, and then, yeah, there's, there's a whole, you know, you, you work the steps, but it's, it's really hard. I'm, um, I'm, I'm still in the withdrawal period from my last relationship and withdrawal is withdrawal. So it's painful and it's confusing and I'm still in touch with this person, which is sort of against the rules. <laughs> so, you know, so I feel some shame about that. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who feels shame quite often mm-hmm. for any number of reasons. I mean, I've been, I've been in therapy for it. it this is not a shock to anyone and it, easier said than done, but we all know like shame doesn't get you anywhere. Um, and that's a very basic thing to say that I'm sure you've had many more layered discussions about just want it on record. So I guess here's the big question yeah. for anybody out here who doesn't understand this is some of the other behaviors we've named that, necessitate treatment. And we've named things that are sort of in the same 
world. You know, you brought up eating disorders as something that people very often need treatment to find their way out of. Alcohol, drugs, we've all seen those stories oftentimes in our own families, oftentimes with ourselves. The issue is that these behaviors get damaging, right? And I guess right. I guess the question is for anybody who doesn't understand how does seeking out love become addictive to the point where it's damaging? Oh, wow. So many ways. Um, first of all, I mean, it's so much healing has to come from within. And so I noticed that I was putting off my own goals um, in order to get validation from someone else, someone's family. Um, I was sort of sitting around like waiting to be rescued. Like, you know, and that's, that's not a healthy relationship. That's not healthy love. That's, that's for, you know, complete codependency. And, uh, yeah, so I, um, but you know, when you're in it, it's so hard to see it because so much of it like also feels good and, you know, makes you feel alive and cared for. And it doesn't mean the person you're with is like a bad person. Um, in this case, I, I was with a drug addict and I didn't understand his addiction and he didn't understand mine. Mm-hmm. I would have to imagine too, just hearing that, I'm going, okay, if you're someone who feels like you need this in your life, is is there an element then in that situation where you're going, well, I'm able to put the blinders on about this drug addiction that's right in my face because I need this I need this relationship for my own purposes so I can look past this other type of destructive behavior and then these things sort of fuel each other. Is that is that something to wrap my brain around or am I off there? Yeah. No, you're definitely on track there. Um, I did not really think too much about it. I thought, you know, he's into rehab, so he, he's probably okay. <laughs> he's probably figured it out. Um, we were both in therapy. We both have loving, supportive families. Um, local families. So, you know, I felt, I felt like we were, you know, okay. But I also um, asked him to move in with me on our third date. Ah, yeah, that's, I can see this. And then I have to imagine yeah, and too, I was like, oh, go for it. You talk. Yeah. No, 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 you go. Well, I was going to say, I would imagine that this thing of, I want to be swept away on my feet. I want the fairy tale story. Like you said, cause you said fantasy as well. So I'm starting to piece this together. I have to imagine that there's people who, if this becomes this sort of obsessive want, people might put them in situation, might put themselves in situations where, or or not put themselves. This type of addiction might lead you to situations where you're putting yourself in a position where you might be manipulated, or people even putting up with abusive stuff because they they crave the the side of it that that is giving them what they need. I, I would imagine there's people who put themselves in some real, real harm's way if this becomes a thing. And yeah. And then, and I have, I was, I was in an, uh, an emotionally abusive relationship with um, someone who I would, um, who I would diagnose as a narcissistic sociopath. Oh, that's never good. Um, it was very manipulative and yeah. And he uh, love bombed me, which is like showing a lot of intense, feelings very, very quickly. And I, and I was in a low place in my life. This was back in 2014. So, you know, years have gone by and I've learned a lot and I'm not where I was and I wouldn't go back to that situation. I, I hope, but, um, but I did, I did get into this situation, um, this time 
And, uh, and I also thought like, oh, this guy's like my soulmate. Like, you know, he, he showed up at the right time. And I, I was one day out of my last relationship one day when, when we matched on a, on a dating app. Oh, wow. So that, yeah, you can start to see. So I'm one day out of a relationship. So, so you're someone who found it impossible. That's so fascinating. And, and again, I, I also want to say like, not fascinating, like I'm just trying to put you under a microscope, but you start to, now I'm really starting to understand where you were at, right? I'm out of a relationship. One day later, I meet this person where there's probably all these red flags other people would see, but I just need, mm. need it, need it, need it. So one day later, we're in it, no looking back. And you start to see, oh, mm -hmm. I can see how this is equivalent to picking up a drink or or whatever right. someone else's addiction. Right. Okay, I'm starting to see. Yep. This is feel the pain. It's like yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That's what happened. I know it was wild, and I was telling it. People were like, "Wait, weren't you just with somebody else? Like, what's what's going on?" And you know, I just hit the ground running, and he and he let me. Like, I guess I I sort of was thinking maybe at some point he'll be like, you know, you're you're being too intense, or you know, let's slow down. But like he didn't. So we just were both like kind of enabling each other. He was also living with his parents because various, you know, life stuff he was going through. So he, he, he was living with his parents and I was living on my own a few miles away. So, and there was a snowstorm and it was like, well, why don't you just stay here now? Yeah. Wow. It is. A yeah. So that was in December and, you know, things were, things seemed to be going well for a while, but, um, but then drugs came into the picture. Ooh, let's pause. That's a sentence right there. And drugs came into the picture, right? I feel like that's probably a, a pretty common sentence for a lot of people in situations akin to this one. We'll hear about how that affected things and more when we get back. Thanks to our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. Things were... Things seemed to be going well for a while, but, um, but then drugs came into the picture. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a person that really has a lot of interest in drugs, but I'm also not a person that has an easy time saying no to things when they're in front of my face. Oh, well, that takes some turns. Okay. Some thoughts, some thoughts, because mm. that will lead right back into that. One, I've never heard the phrase love bombing. I bet there's other people who haven't. My assumption is this means someone who just comes out of the gate sort of over the top, sort of trying to sweep you away on your feet to suck you in. That's what I would assume love bombing means. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's a part of abuse. It's an attempt to, to influence someone with, you know, by, by doing nice things for them, saying the right things. Um, it, it is very manipulative. And I don't know if, I don't, I don't know how aware the person is or not, depending on who they are. And then, so it's like a control, that's a control mechanism. Yeah, it's a control mechanism for sure. Also trauma, trauma bonding is another one that I hear um, in the rooms, in the 12-step rooms. What does trauma bonding mean? So I understand it to mean that you become bonded to your abuser. Right, right. And I would have to imagine... Or that you bond over traumas, maybe. Right. That when you go through things yeah. that are horrible together, 
it leads to this right. doubling down on maybe some of the, that's, that's really, wow. Wow. Sorry that I keep saying it's fascinating. Cause it, again, I don't want to, it's just something that I, it's well, it's something we all hear about. And then, but it's, it is, it is, it is a taboo more than, more than some others. I think it is a taboo. Uh, weirdly, it, it's a thing we don't talk about, but when you're talking about the love bombing thing too, and, and getting sucked in and then things can be abusive, it's, here's something that's really making my gears turn is my understanding of a lot of abuse. Again, luckily enough, I've been in some situations, again, I, I was, I, I was in a couple situations I've talked about it on the show where things got really dark in a way that I look back and I go, okay, that, that, this was like an unhealthy codependency and, and, uh, and, and I have, I have depression issues and that clearly made me want to stay in this. And like, I, I've, I've had my version of that where I've seen, but I don't think I've ever seen abuse close up. Thank God. Um, but I, my understanding is a lot of times abuse is followed by these periods of it's just because I love you so much. It's just because you bring out these intense feelings. And if you're someone who is addicted to love, that's got to be really dangerous because that's what you're looking for. Mm. You're looking for that gushing over the top. No, it's just the passion. It's just, right. That, that, that must get bad. Um, yeah, uh, you know, thankfully it didn't, it was never physical abuse, but it was still very damaging. Yeah. To my self-esteem, um, you know, he would tell me he was better than me and, uh, he would, you know, we were living together. So, and he owned our house. Um, he also was, was trying to push me into some like polyamory BDSM situations that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, it just, um. That was that was a tough one. So um so luckily um I finally finally got out with the help of my parents who Good. who took care of me for a couple months. Yeah, back in New York, I moved back home, and um and I started going to meetings, the twelve step meetings, with, uh, Sex and Love Addiction Anonymous, and um I did tell my parents about it because I was living with them and I didn't want to lie, and I was going to meetings in person quite a lot, and um. I still don't think that they really understand what it's about. Um, they're supportive, so that's great. But yeah, even recently, my dad said, "Well, I feel like it's more like about you know promiscuity, and like it's really not. That's not that's not what it's about. That's mm-hmm. sure that can be a side effect. Right. But it's so deeper. It's so much deeper than that. And I also was talking to my dad about his own history, and he he hasn't been single since he was 13 years old." And I said, well, how does that work? You know, and he said, I just wait till the relationship got so unbearable that it would end and then I'd have a new one. Right. Right. Which is not, not a happy story for anybody. That's not a happy thing. Right. Stick with, yeah, I've done that too. I've been in relationships where I knew it was, I knew it was broken. Stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. I've been there too. It's a, it's these situations where I go, okay, I don't, I don't know that I'm, it's this thing, right? Where I bet a lot of people are going, I don't understand the depths of what you're saying. And I don't understand when it crosses over into addiction, but okay, you're describing things where I, I can see the moments in my life where I'm going, oh, okay. Those things can lead to really bad stuff if you, 
if you go down rabbit holes surrounding them. I can see it now. And you're, that's speaking so highly to you and your ability to explain this stuff. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly addictions feed into other addictions, but I've heard people say that they were in AA or other other addiction programs, and this is their core one. This is the one that they really need to focus on. It's at the heart of all of it is this pain and emptiness and longing and, you know, growing up with um, with parents who, who maybe didn't teach them, you know, what they didn't give them what they needed, you know, which is not how I feel. I, I grew up in a very loving, supportive family, but I also um, got diagnosed a few years ago with borderline personality disorder. And that, um, that has really been eye opening because a lot of it overlaps for me. Like I see a lot of overlap in it. Um, feelings of abandonment, um, intense emotions, um, I've had like angry outbursts like throughout my life and I, I never understood why I was like this. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm writing some things down. I got a couple, couple questions and, and I know oh, so many things I really want to get into. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to be direct with my thoughts. So okay. one, one of the major things you talked about when I asked you, how does it negatively affect your life is some version uh, uh, I'm going to shorthand it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Please, please, please. Mm. But one of the things you brought up is that I think I, I brought it up and, and we kind of, and you were like, yep, yep, yep. And then explain some situations in your life where it, it can invite manipulative or abusive people into your life that predators can figure out that they can manipulate you because there's certain things you're not going to be able to control in your own behavior. Um, what I mm. fear and what I wonder if you thought about is, there's something there's something really positive about saying okay like the the th- I wound up in these situations that are really dark and messed up and part of this is because of this thing I'm trying to go to 12 step meetings to that allowed the door to be open but I'm worried that it also comes off as saying well how was it partially my fault which it is not but I'm wondering if there's discussion of that either you internally or in this way, in the the groups, the the ways you've tried to sort it out to go. Does that make sense? I'll stop rambling. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You mean you mean like, like, like not like trying to understand why why we get ourselves into these situations? Like, what like what is it? Is that what you mean? Like, well, I could feel like there might be people, and because I, I hear myself saying it, and I'm going, I hope the way I'm not coming off, but I hear myself saying things that sound like is. Is this a way to go, hey, this was this person who is abusive emotionally or forcing me into sexual situations I wasn't comfortable with, drugs? There's a part of me that worries that I'm going, oh, so here's how you're telling me that it was actually partially your fault because you deal with this thing, which I don't think it is. And I, I have not thought it, but it it creates this situation where you have to kind of self-examine how did I get into that situation? that dangerous situation, how did I get there? How can I avoid it again? And that's a very layered thing. Yeah. It's about breaking patterns. Um, it's about, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think 12 step is a replacement for therapy. I also do go to therapy every week. Um, yeah, it's it's about, um, gosh, there's some, yeah, it's, it is very layered. It's, uh, 
I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like a victim in a lot of ways and, and it's, it's, but it's not, it's, it is about like self-discovery and how can I change? How can I grow? How can I learn? A lot of people in the program, once they're cleared for dating, they get to a certain step and they work that out with their sponsor. They come up with a sober dating plan, which is supposed to help manage these sort of situations and, and weed out the predators and the manipulators because those people won't want to go along with a dating plan, you know, where they can't have sex for however many weeks or dates. So there's things that are prescribed in the program of like, okay, so you're going to specifically take a break from this type of behavior for this amount of time. And we're going to see if that helps kind of lift this thing. That's like a yoke. Yeah. Once you've gotten to a certain, right. Once you've gotten to a certain point, and you're cleared to start dating. And maybe you don't even want, I've heard people say, once I got to that point, I didn't even want to. You know, I'd fallen in love with myself and found a a power greater than myself, higher power, God, whoever you believe. Because you do have to have trust and faith in God, or if it's not God, then it's something that you believe is, is greater, a power greater than yourself. And that, I know people struggle with that. I grew up in a Jewish household and I'm thankful that I, I do believe in, in God. And, uh, but I haven't always trusted God. I'm going to be honest. I have not. I thought that like, why, why am I this age? And I, I don't have kids yet. And I want kids. And I, so I got really baby crazy this last year and put it out there like in a major way without acknowledging that I, maybe I wasn't, you know, ready for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that if that's the priority before you, even know every aspect of, of your partner and their behavior that, that something's racing there. There's like some, something's racing there in a way that, that you need to focus on. It's really, that's, that's, you know what? It's, it's this thing, right? Which is to loop it back around to the question I asked that got us, there's so many interesting thoughts of just this thing of you're allowed to be both a victim and someone who starts taking responsibility for yourself and that sometimes to close the loop on falling into being a victim, you have to, you have to work on yourself to figure out what is the thing that predators are discovering about me that allow this pattern to happen. And that there's a thing you don't hear much about, right? There's a thing you don't hear much about of your, those things are allowed to coexist. You're allowed to be someone who's been put into really bad situations by other people. And you're also allowed to go, do I need to join a 12 step program focusing on, on my behavior that I think might be what, what people are, what, what victimizers are capitalizing upon. That's a, that's a side of things we don't talk about, right? We talk about abuse. We go the bad person and the good person in the situation. And we don't go, the bad person in the situation who has all sorts of issues and the good person in the situation has all sorts of issues and how those issues are being preyed upon and manipulated and incredibly toxic when mixed together. It's a, uh, it's real life. I don't, that's real life. That's real life. And it's, and, and I, we're, we're all sick. A lot of us are sick and suffering. That's what we say in the rooms. We're sick and suffering and we don't want to take someone else's inventory as we call it. Yeah. Like why they have all these defects of character right. because that's not up to us. Like, you know, we're each one of us has a responsibility to ourselves 
to understand this addiction in ourselves. If we identify, and I see older women, I see younger women, and whenever you get to it is when you get to it. I, I came to the program and I left multiple times. Yeah. I don't know now if I'll stay. I have a new sponsor and I'm, I'm nervous to tell her that, you know, I did some things this week that maybe weren't, weren't the best. It's really, it's a commendable type of help to seek because like you just said, like you're sitting on people find it at their own time. You're working on yourself. That never means it's your fault. It does. It just, it just means you get to work to make sure that the situations you put yourselves into and the situations where other people get involved, don't happen again. So it's really, uh, yeah. Well, um, so I guess the, the way this, this last relationship ended was, um, we, we had done some drugs together and, uh, we, we had acid in my apartment and I've never, I'd never taken acid before. Um, and I was curious about it. He had my, my ex and, um, it was the night before Valentine's day. We'd gone over to his parents' apartment and, I'd said something in front of his mother about wanting to be pregnant next year or at the end of this year. And that was, you know, I, I know his parents, I got to know them, but that was a pretty big thing to say. And it was impulsive, I'd say, to say it. And um, there was this kind of awkward moment where he was like, I don't want to talk about this with either of you. So we, we came back to my place and things were a bit tense and he sat me down and said, um, I can't have children with you. It's just not going to be the right thing for me. I'm not going to be happy. I love you. I care about you. I know this is what you want, but I can't do it. And I started to like panic, like, wait, what? Like my whole, like everything is kind of unraveling in front of my eyes. And, um, we, we talked a bit more. I said, you know, he said, I'll still stay with you in your apartment. If you want, we can figure this, we can try to figure some, figure it out. And I said, yeah, stay, don't leave. And then he said, um, do you want to take acid? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. Cause that'll probably like take this pain. And in my head, I thought that'll take this pain away. Right. Like whatever it is, I'd never done it before. So I just assumed. And so we took it and the next four to five hours were pretty, pretty amazing. Have you, have you tripped before? Um, I don't know if you want to share that. Well, I've never done it intentionally. I did one time. I did one time wind up in a situation in my wilder days where, where uh, I thought I, I thought I was participating in something viewed as very very recreational, and I was given something that was not, and it mm. did make me trip, and it was not good. It was not good. Um, but again, as far as someone yeah. who has dealt with impulsive behavior and self destructive behavior, like right there, right there with you. And again, the type of thing that I already run into, you go, God damn it. Why? I've talked about how there's been a couple of times where I talked about it in my HBO special. There's been a couple of times where uh, MDMA was something that people put in front of me. Oh, this is amazing. And then one time I thought I was taking MDMA, which actually I said, people think of it as recreational. It's not like can be messed up. Some people love it, more power to them. They know how to use it responsibly. Like I didn't. And I did once winding up in a situation where I go, oh, this is not this is either combined with something or was not what I thought it was bad. So anyway, your story. Right. Well, yeah, we don't always know what's within the drugs that we are taking, but um, yeah, it was, I got, I got a lot of really, really cool hallucinations and um, messages I feel. And he was saying really nice things to me and it was very caring. 
I also started to feel like he was like my brother, kind of like, like that was a weird moment. Um, but like, I, I fully believe like we, he and I have met in past lives, but that's like another story. So actually, and a few hours into it, um, he, he, something changed and he said, I think you need to call 911. And I was like, oh, oh my God, what, what? And that was really the last thing he said that was him. After that, he went into like a, a full psychotic breakdown. Whoa. Um, and, and it got really, really scary for me because I was also tripping and we turned our phones off and we were listening to classical music and all this that. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen next because he started to get aggressive and, and a little violent and thank God I'm okay. Like nothing, nothing that bad happened, but, um, but it, it could have happened. I, I saw that it was about to start getting worse. So I had to call 911. It's winter. It's COVID. <laughs> it's, uh, my neighbors, you know, were like, what, what's up? <laughs> like, I just, um, and they, they restrained him and took him away and they took me in a separate ambulance and I'm lying there. Just like, how did I, how did I get here? That's a nightmare. How That's a nightmare, here? right? You hear about people who do acid and they're like, oh, I microdose and I went and walked around in nature and felt very in touch with the earth and learned a lot about myself. And that's the good side of it. Then you're the bad side of it. Oh, I took it with someone who had an actual psychotic break and it ended with me in an ambulance too. That's the nightmare, right? Right. It was a total nightmare. And I um, I didn't know what's going to happen. I didn't know where he was or if he was mad at me. I just I had no idea. Um, and so I... Thankfully, I was able to get picked up by um, his twin brother, of all people. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, his twin brother was amazing, and he helped me and came came and got me. You weren't still tripping, were you? Because if you're tripping and the twin brother walks in, that, that's, that's, uh, that right. could be tough. <laughs> that could be very tough. That's <laughs> true. Um, I, uh, I think I was, I was just kind of coming down from it, which is why they let me go, but... Um, we waited for news. We found out that he had assaulted a police officer oh, during all boy. of this. Oh, so that he was going to not, not only was he sedated, but then he was going to be arrested. It, it took a day or two for me to really get any information. But, um, but I found out that he had been released. He was safe. He came over, he got some of his stuff. He told me he was incredibly sorry. We hugged, we kissed. I mean, it, it, it's been, um, it's been a whirlwind since then. It's been six weeks since then. And, um, I have a lot of love and care for him. We are not in a committed relationship now. I don't know what will be. Um, I'm still, I'm still thinking about, but he, he joined my family's Zoom Passover Seder. So that was nice. Wow. And you, this is the relationship where you're, you're, you're technically not supposed to be participating in it by the rules of the program. Right. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people um, have what's called a qualifier, someone that, qualifies them to be in the program and it could be an ex um it's most likely an ex yeah and it's uh so people refer to to their qualifier and say that they have to go no contact because during no contact for 30 days or longer you're able to start to start the process of withdrawal and healing and recovery and until you do that it's probably hard to get that done right that's a that's an amazing example of what you're talking about, right? The morning starts with talking about having kids in a way that overwhelms and concerns <laughs> him. 
the night ends with you both in the hospital after he's had a psychotic break that started turning violent. Yes, mm-hmm. if you have an addiction that's going, I just need to be in love. I just need to be in love. And that's, that's I'm considering that first. Yeah, you can see, okay, yeah, I see how this gets dangerous. I see how this gets dangerous. I see how there's so much enabling in so many directions. I get it. And and it's uh yeah very cool that you're working through it. It's very cool. Thank you. That must um, be hard. Yeah, it is it is hard. Um I'm lucky in that um he's he's also done a lot of work on himself. Um we have a lot of love and respect for each other and we've been able to have some really honest, um, important conversations about what we learned and who we are and what we need. We're both we're both trying to move forward right now and tough. I mean, we miss each other. It's um, physically uncomfortable to be away from him. Sometimes it's getting easier because some time has passed. Um, his parents also changed their view of me. I'm pretty sure because, you know, I was like the nice Jewish girl that their son brought over. And then it was like, Oh, <laughs> they're doing drugs together. Mm-hmm. 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 This is, I tell you, <laughs> yeah. we've done, look, we've done, we've done like, well over 200 of these episodes before. And I've had some very hard conversations and this ranks up there, I think in the top tier of ones that I might classify as, as so many, so many sides to it to wrap my brain around uh, that, mm. that I keep fighting. Like, cause all these things, these codependencies, these ways everything plays into each other. It's, it's all of it. Everyone has them, and I don't want people listening to this to think, "Oh, I'm an addict," because you might not be. Um, there's, you know, there's ways to determine if if you have this addiction or something similar. And is this people people who are people who are thinking this sounds awfully familiar, and and I'm there's some damaging things in my life? Would they go to like a a therapist or mental health professional to start sorting? Like, how do you get that diagnosis? I have to assume that this one's worth a pause because there's probably a lot of us going, I gotta hear what this entails because I'm seeing a little too much of myself in there. Uh, For anybody who has so much more information coming down the pike and uh, we'll be right back. Thanks to all the advertisers who helped this show be brought into the world. Now let's finish off the phone call. Everyone has them, and I don't want people listening to this to think, "Oh, I'm an addict," because you might not be. Um, there's, you know, there's ways to determine if if you have this addiction or something similar. And is this people people who are people who are thinking this sounds awfully familiar, and and I'm there's some damaging things in my life. Would they go to like a a therapist or mental health professional to start sorting? Like, how do you get that diagnosis? Oh, so that's a tough one because um, I I'm not an expert. Um, I would say if this if you feel that this relates to you, like go go online and and look for a meeting and go to a meeting and see see what happens. Start there and basically what see if yeah. you hear yourself in some of the other people's stories or right. They say you should go to in my program to six meetings, six different meetings before you before you identify. Now. And just because you go to meetings doesn't mean you have to work all 12 steps either. Right. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I feel like that's good because there there might be people scared of 12-step programs um, because it they might mm-hmm. assume, well, if I can't get through all 12, that's going to mean I failed at it and that's going to 
that's going to hurt even worse. Right. So it's good to hear that. No, nobody get nobody judges you if you don't do all twelve. Right. That's yeah. good to know. I wanted to ask more about. Did you say you've been you you have been officially diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and you think that it might tie into a lot of that stuff? Um. Yes. And yes, I I was diagnosed in 2016. I was already 33, so uh, it was later. Um. I always had difficulties growing up. Um. Was always in therapy, and uh, I was not diagnosed until until later so um you know that could be a number of reasons there's there's also a lot of stigma attached to it there's a lot of you know misunderstanding um people say you're but you're more than your diagnosis which is true i am but i do still identify as as someone with bpd and i've found great community and understanding in that in that diagnosis now can i ask you i want to ask you 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 mentioned a few things i wrote them down because I'm like, oh wow, there's a lot coming. There's a lot coming down the pike that I have no. This this one, everybody's hearing me sort out everything on my feet in a really, and again, in a way that I'm really like, oh wow, that you're you're opening my eyes. I feel like borderline personality disorder. It's a diagnosis that we're hearing more and more in recent years. In at least in my experience, um, I also get the sense that people might view it as something kind of extreme at times. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if you can walk us through if that's, if that's something you find as well. And, and also just sort of like, I guess like what it really means and what the reactions to it are. Um, when you say extreme, you mean like extreme behaviors? Um, First of all, yeah, I, I want to know what the behaviors involved are, how it affects things, what leads to the diagnosis. Like, but also, I think extreme in the sense that, like, I feel like a f- I feel like when I was growing up, if I told people, "Hey, I'm dealing with depression," people would almost go, "Oh, that's almost like a scarlet letter." Um, now I think that mm. conversation has evolved where it's less so, and I am so thankful for that. So thankful for that. Uh, but like my, I, have, I have a friend, Gary Goleman, who did a special on HBO about his depression. He and I are friends and we would always joke over both the depression HBO special guys. He talked about getting electroshock treatment as part of his therapy. And I remember going, oh, wait, like even me who revealed so much in my special, I'm going, wow, Gary, that's huge. Because people people hear electroshock therapy and they they really go, oh, wow, you're crazy. you know. And he went, no, it's just a thing I did that helped me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was super cool of him. And it, it's, he also is so funny. So much. His special was as sad as mine and 10 times funnier, man. I was like, ah, I love you to death. I'm also slightly jealous. I feel like BPD is another one where people's uncertainty about it and the way that it, I think, is kind of being heard about more and more only recently might get a similar reaction of like, oh, that, that is that, that's like, that's like, that like I hate this word. I hate this word. But people might go, "Oh, yeah. that's, that's crazy!" Like, "Whoa, what's that?" You know? And yeah, there's a show, Crazy Girl. There's a show, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Um, and I started watching it halfway through, but you know that that character in that show also gets diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And I, before she got diagnosed in the whatever third season, I was like, "This is me!" Like, I, <laughs> you know. I think I am crazy ex-girlfriend. Like I haven't, you know, burned anyone's house down or anything like she did, but, um, you know, I have done some, some pretty crazy things. And, uh, I look back and I'm an open book, you know, as maybe you can tell, um, I've been working on a memoir and I'm, 
I, I really do share a lot and, and it doesn't always work out um, so well, but I still feel like it's my, it's, it's part of who I am to, to share this, to educate, to, to help to, and, to, and to heal myself. I don't want to flex. I taught Rachel Bloom in an improv class, whatever, not a big deal. <laughs> um, I think it's so, uh, just flexing a little bit, I guess. Uh, what can I say? I was really good at teaching the next generation of comedic talent. How do we see that? And I, I'm not taking any credit for anybody's success. <laughs> anyway, hearing you say like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm writing a memoir. I'm an open book. I'm not going to worry about people's perception of my diagnosis. Awesome. Like totally with you. So like, absolutely. When I, when I turned that corner, enriched my life greatly, improved my life greatly. Um, you said angry outbursts, intense emotions, feelings of abandonment. These are common parts of this diagnosis. What, what, what else goes into BPD? Um, there's suicidal, su suicidal ideation, you know, thinking that things would be better if you weren't here. Um, some people also self-harm, cutting. Um, these are not, I'm not saying these are things I've done, but these are things that, pe that people do. Um, distorted self-image. Yeah, just uh, really, you know, I guess those, those are the main things. There's like nine criteria, and if you have six, you can be diagnosed. I'm going to tell you that you just named six, are those six of the criteria, because I instantly went, yep, all six. I, I the more I hear about it, the more I go, I should probably just straight up ask my shrink if I might have borderline personality disorder. I probably just should at this yeah, point. I mean, Pete Davidson also has talked very openly about it on Saturday Night Live, which I'm which I'm very appreciative of. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all seen his breakups and relationships play out in the media. Yeah. And um horrible. He's he's a nice guy too. Oh yeah, right. I know. Native New Yorker, Staten Island. <laughs> Um, I always thought maybe I'd run into him in like a DBT skills group. That's, that's the therapy that they recommend for borderline is dialectical behavioral therapy. And I was like, oh, Pete Davidson was in my group. And I don't know Pete that well, but I, I tell you, I met Pete when he was, I think he was still a teenager and uh, he's such a sweet kid. And I tell it's not my place. Like I said, just to, as a human, more than even someone who's in the comedy scene, like you look at, you look at someone where every relationship they have is tabloid fodder while also being very open about, hey, I, I have a thing I'm really dealing with. You go, man, this is not, this is a part of sort of America's obsession with pop culture that is just not right. In the same way that it was so okay to make fun of Anna Nicole Smith and Lindsay Lohan when they were drug addicts. And it was okay for them to be joked about. And Craig Ferguson, I think I mentioned on the show, Craig Ferguson had a whole monologue once about it. He's like, I'm not doing that anymore. It's really warped. And I, I was so happy. Anyway, um, yeah, if you, if, if you and Pete got to work in a group together, tell him I say hi. Tell him I said hey. Uh, why is it borderline personality? What does that phrase mean? So it's, it's a bit misleading to call it borderline. It should really be like emotion dysregulation disorder. Um, I think they, they named it borderline because it was, um, you know, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but it was, it's just like uh, people, people are on the border of different like diagnoses where they have like a dissociation kind of that happens a lot. That happens to me. What's dissociation? Um, yeah. Dissociation where you just feel like out of your body. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, like, that one like I, I don't disconnect have. a lot. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's something I've, I've recently been, I've noticed recently is that I, I sort of disconnect, like I'll be in a conversation, but my mind is like totally somewhere else. Oh, and wait, it's, I do do it, that. Never it is mind. some distraction. 
Okay, actually, yeah, too. it could be distraction, but it's like I think it's also like something more intense is going on. I think that word borderline is scary. I think that probably stigmatizes this one a little bit. You hear borderline, a lot of people think tipping point, right? I think those words mm. are are re- that that phrase is related in some way of like I'm on the borderline, I'm on the borderline here, and it sounds like oh, is this someone who lives in a perpetual state of of being about to cross into something? It's a borderline. Like, are you about to cross into something? Yeah. I bet that that's a phrase that if they if they gave it if they gave it a name that didn't have the phrase borderline in it, I bet there would be a lot less people making assumptions Mm -hmm. about its severity. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And also like some people see BPD and think it's bipolar, which it's not. Right. Um, Right. So, you know, there's, there's like a lot of different distinctions and I'm, I'm Googling things all the time um, because I'm just like, there's so much out there. When I was, when I was dating this guy in California some years ago, um, the one I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I think he is a narcissist. And I started finding out all these ways that borderlines and narcissists get are attracted to each other because one's like seeking validation and one's looking to control. And it's like, it's like a dance. It's like a toxic dance that you do. Right. Like I, I I want to be worshiped. I want to worship someone. And Mm -hmm. I tell you, I just, I don't want to say I chuckled because it's real stuff, but I was about to say, so how do you think borderline personality disorder plays into this love addiction. And then I'm looking at the list I wrote down. I'm going, Oh, I see it right away. Like I'm someone who has severe abandonment so issues. Like, yeah. Like I'm someone who has suicidal ideation. So if I'm in a relationship and the person tries to break up with me and I start cutting myself or threatening to kill myself and that's happening in every relationship I've been in. Right. Yeah. This is like, I have this distorted self image. Okay. People might be able to make me feel awful about myself and I'm trapped in this relationship, but I'm addicted to the relationship. But this other, like you can see angry outbursts, intense emotions. You're going, oh yeah, someone mm-hmm. broke up with me mm-hmm. and I wrote them a 35 page email. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see how all these things can be coupled with this exact type of addiction in the same way that I think depression. Yeah. And there's so many triggers. Yeah. Oh, a million. Mm-hmm. I was going to say so too, like the same way that depression and alcoholism, I think can be so interrelated so often. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I completely see how the things you're describing can be uh, really tangled up in yeah. your romantic relationships. It's it's a no brainer the way you've described it. Yeah, and a lot of us like a lot of us don't want to feel our feelings because they're hard, they're challenging, they're painful. Like why why would we want to feel sad when we can feel happy? Yeah, yeah. But like I've realized, the only way through it, the only way out of it is through it. I have to feel sad. I have to cry. I have to call someone in my program or a friend and. I'm so lucky to have amazing friends. I've traveled the whole world basically and um, I've made amazing friends. It's uh I think a lot about what? what you just said I think is so underrated. I want to highlight it of like no I have to feel the sadness. Like I have to, you we spend so much time trying to avoid it because you even said, like one of the things that you mentioned that BPD can bring with it is this feeling of intense emotions and you go we try to avoid the sadness, hide the sadness, ha- hide the anger, the the negative emotions. But the other emotions are intense as well. And you certainly have to learn how to deal with those emotions um, realistically as well. Mm-hmm. You don't want to buy into like a, ma- like for me, it comes up as mania when I'm like overly happy and it's not realistic. And that's very, that's in some ways more scary than depression. But I've always thought 
I feel sadness very, very severely in my life. And one of the things that helped me be okay with that and stop trying to solve it was I also feel happiness very, very severely in my life. I also feel empathy very, very severely in my life. Mm-hmm. Small joys can often be big joys right. to me. Those are some of the things where I take a deep breath and go, I wouldn't wish the sadness upon my worst enemy, but I feel sad for people who don't get to feel happiness in some of the ways I do either. And there is something to that. Yeah, there's a lot of gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of gratitude. And like, I know why, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty charming. And, you know, I <laughs> I think I get away with a lot because because I do, I have, I'm sort of like magnetic. Like I, I, I don't know, you know, I just, uh, I have that quality. And so I, I, and I don't want to think, I don't want people to think that they shouldn't enter into a relationship with someone who has BPD, but there is work to be done and there is understanding. Right. Um that has to happen. It's, it's, you know, that's real. I want to bring up something hard with five minutes left that I've been sitting on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one's place to judge, not judging. I bet a lot of people listening are having a similar reaction sitting there that I am, which is you ended the story of the person you were dropping acid with having a psychotic break, which I'm not judging, but it's super concerning who got violent in the course of that super concerning. You did end it with, and we have a lot of love for each other. I don't know how it's going to go. It's a little scary based on what you've described because it does sound like the exact type of thing you've been talking about as far as needing love and that trumping other concerns. It does sound like that. I don't want to judge or assume it sounds like that. And it has me a little concerned. I wanted to make sure I brought it up. Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm just uh, still in the process of, of letting go and really just being gentle with myself and taking it a day at a time. Um, sometimes I get into a fantasy mind of, oh, maybe like in six months or a year, if we've done like a lot of work on ourselves, we can be together. And then other times I'm like, we, I know we can't, but I still want him in my life, like as the person that I care about, as a friend, as a, I don't know exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm still working that through. It's, um, it doesn't feel like an easy decision to cut this person out of my life. Yeah, that's fair. Never is, never is. But also being careful, you know, like yesterday I talked to a, a friend from high school who works as a medium and she, she told me some, some interesting things. We got three minutes left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. I'm not going to share that. Fair. But, um, yeah. <laughs> well, with three minutes left, I want to make sure I, I, so much of this call has been me rambling as I, as I kind of react and figure out the reactions. <laughs> I want to make sure any, anything we haven't gotten to that you want to make sure is on record. Um, no, I think, I think that's good. I, um, I also collect dresses. And I started a website where every day I post a different dress in my wardrobe. Cool. And um, it's been really, it's been pretty therapeutic. I, I actually don't know how many I have. I'm, I'm hoping it, it'll be like a year of different dresses every day. You live in New York. How do you have the storage? And As I, a former New Yorker, how do you have the storage? <laughs> I know, right? Well, I now live alone in a two-bedroom apartment in Astoria, Queens. And um, I was using the room for Airbnb, but that hasn't quite made a comeback yet. Mm. So it's sort of 
now it's like an extra closet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an entire room of a closet. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. A room of dresses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some other closets. I'm, I got lucky with my apartment. Yeah. Story is great. You can still find the deal. Keep an eye out. Not like you used to be able to. Right. Um, just hearing that, I love yeah. because one of the things this show can follow to uh, uh, that you just gave us this little glimpse of, we talk about the major things, but you're not your diagnosis. You're not your past experiences. You're not the dropping acid night. You're also somebody who collects dresses and lives in a neighborhood with great Greek food. Like you're that too. And that's a good thing to remember <laughs> at the end. You ever go to Agnanti? <laughs> Agnanti? Exactly. 19- oh, oh, yeah. Right by the park? Street. Yeah. The- it's like it's 19th great, Street and Dittmar's right by the park. Oh, I used to live across the street from McNaughty. That's, that's a good one. But I have to give a shout out to Elias Corner on 31st Street, that place. Um, and uh, Elias passed away and the wife and son took it over. And um, that place is really phenomenal. They're, they don't even have a menu. They just read you oh. what they just uh, oh. they say off the top of their head. What's fresh? I love being back in Jersey. I've been <laughs> so thrilled. But man, the food in Queens. Ah. Uh. Oh, just walk down the block, yeah, walk down the block. And they don't even have a menu. They just say, here's what's fresh. You want it? You go, yes, your mind is blown. Queens, <laughs> I love my heart. Well, a piece of my heart will always belong to Queens, New York. It definitely will. I'm so glad. I'm a Manhattan girl. I grew up on the Upper West Side. So it's a, it's a big deal for me to devote myself oh, to Queens. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you're two steps away from Jersey. And that's a horror show to you. <laughs> Um, our time is up. I got to thank you. Uh, this, you were so clear and honest and able to explain stuff and between love addiction and borderline personality disorder, those are two things a lot of us have heard of and don't know much about. And, uh, I apologize if I talk too much because you were just able to say so many so many things that opened my eyes. I thank you for it. I'm so glad. I appreciate this call. Caller, thanks again. Uh, for, first of all, for the food recommendation of Queen's Kidding, for being so open and honest about so much stuff that's really hard to talk about. I applaud you. Thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Shell Shag for the music. ChrisGeth.com if you want info about me and my road dates. Wherever you're listening follow, favorite, subscribe. Those buttons are there. They help a lot. Push them. If you want all of the beautiful follow-ups, if you want a bunch of live shows you can't get anywhere else, as well as our back catalog without any ads, stitcherpremium.com slash stories. 